So grab your outline, grab your Bible, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, we are going to continue in our series on um, the gift of Christmas. So as you're turning in your Bible, I just want to encourage you to be here next week. Um, God has given me a, a unique talent that I've never shared with you before, but I will next Sunday. And uh, you will not want to miss this one, I'm telling you. You're just not going to want to miss it. It's going to be incredible. It's going to like just um, amaze you in, in so many different ways. So here we are, um, top of your outline. This, the whole basis of this series is based on um, a passage out of the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born. So remember, this is a reference to God who takes upon himself human flesh and is physically birthed in Bethlehem um, on that first Christmas morning. To us a son is given. Who's giving the son? The father's giving the son. Jesus didn't begin his existence in Bethlehem, but Jesus had always existed. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word dwelt among us, right? Took on flesh, dwelt among us, and so he, he began showing us, Christ shows us what the Father is like. And so he is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. What, what government is he talking about here? He's talking about the kingdom of God. So as we enter into the Christmas season, oftentimes we celebrate Christmas without ever realizing why Jesus needed to make an entrance into the world through the birth of a baby, that is, as a human being. And so it is the conflict of two kingdoms. Uh, God originally had one kingdom, his kingdom, but he created angelic beings and he created them like us with the freedom to choose. Uh, they had a free will. They could choose to worship God, follow God, or they could choose to rebel against him. And so Satan um, who was known as Lucifer at that time, the son of the morning star. He was one of the worship leaders. So you always have to watch worship leaders. They, they're the ones that get off track, easiest. Uh, so Lucifer decides he, he wants God's throne. He wants to sit upon God's throne, and he wants to usurp God off the throne. So he, he gathers a third of the angelic beings with him. They side with him, and they make war against God in the heavenlies. And so God then casts Satan and his demonic beings out of the heavenlies down onto earth. Now, earth at that time is it's formless. It's, it's, it's void. It's just a sphere that God had, had laid out when he laid out the galaxy. And so there is kind of Satan's dwelling place, his hometown, so to speak. It's where his crib was, right? So that for those of you who are not familiar with cribs, that means your house, not your baby crib. So uh, anyway, so that's where he's hanging, and then God decides to create humanity, and he places Adam and Eve in a garden called the Garden of Eden right in Satan's backyard. And God's goal was that Adam and Eve would have children, and they would continue to submit and surrender themselves under the lordship of, of God to follow him. And, and God says, listen, I'm giving this all to you. I'm giving you authority over this garden, and you, you're going to rule over what I've created, and you can eat of any tree except the one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God, again, had created Adam and Eve with the ability to choose whether or not they would follow God or not. And so this is why when Satan came in the form of a serpent into the garden, he couldn't force Adam and Eve to rebel against God. He had no authority to do that. They had the authority that God had given them. It made him mad. He wanted them to side with him and rebel against God. And so he couldn't make them do it, but he could deceive them into it. 
which is exactly what he did. He says, if you eat of this tree, you know that you're going to be like God. You're going to become your own God. You're going to be, call your own shots. You're going to become your own authority. And they liked that. It would sound appealing. And so they did. And once they did, then all of creation went into a tailspin. God's goal was that Eden would just continue as they had, Adam and Eve had children, would continue to multiply all around the entire globe, and the entire world would be like a, the Garden of Eden. But in their rebellion, it sent the world into a tailspin. So all of creation was, was affected by that. That's why we have tornadoes like what hit Mayfield, Kentucky. And by the way, we need to be praying for them. And, and why uh, there are you know tsunamis and all this other this this havoc that has been wreaked upon God's creation and it affected Adam and Eve, it affected humanity and our hearts are now filled with, with evil and deception. And so that's why by Genesis 6 it says that everybody was doing what was evil, only evil. And God says, well, we got to put a stop to this. So God decided to step into the mess and address the mess. And so God's Goal, watch this, his ultimate kingdom goal, the kingdom refers to God's rule and reign over his creation, is that one day God will, he will destroy this present heavens and earth and recreate it, and he will recreate it void of all evil. That it will be like it was originally intended to be like the Garden of Eden. And so when Jesus came into the world, he came to deal with the issue of sin, Satan, and death. And that's why he came in the form of a human being. And we'll talk about that more even next week. And so this is where God is moving all of creation. This is God's sovereign plan. His, God's sovereignty simply means God is in control. He's moving all of history towards a certain destiny. And so as he is getting us there, one day Jesus will come back, he said, and he will establish his kingdom here on earth. This is the kingdom that Isaiah is referring to. And the king will be on his shoulders, who will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of, of Peace. He is the Wonderful Counselor we talked about last week because God understands you. He cares for you. He is absolutely committed to you, and he wants what's best for you. And so God challenges us to surrender our hearts to him and to allow him to be the CEO, the director of our lives. And as we dive into God's word, which is God's manual for his kingdom, then we learn how to become more like Jesus. We learn how to enter into a relationship with Christ, and thus we are adopted into God's family, and we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. So there's that dual kingdomship again. Out of this kingdom, into this kingdom, this is where we reside. Jesus is our king. He is the Lord of our lives, and we've chosen to follow him as our wonderful counselor, because when we need counsel, he is the one who can counsel you in all ways. But as I said in the very last point of that message is, it is only as effective as we are willing to follow it. Jesus can give us all kinds of wise counsel, but if we don't put it into practice, if we don't follow it, it does not do us any good. Nothing will change. Life will always be the same. You know, some people say, well, you know, I, I, I've made so many mistakes. No, here's what happens to people. You've probably only made one mistake in your life. You just made it 50 times because we never learn, right? We, we never sought counsel from our wise counselor to help us how we can overcome and redo something so we don't do it again. Now, today we want to talk about Jesus as our mighty God. And when I think of mighty God, I think of power and I think of 
control, rulership, control. So Jesus is the mighty God. Why is he the mighty God? Because Jesus and God are one God, right? So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, one essence. He's just displayed himself in three different ways. Jesus said the Father and I are one. You've seen one, you've seen the other. So what do we know about God? This is what we know about Jesus, that Jesus as our mighty God, our powerful God, he is omnipresent. That means he is fully present in all places at all times. God is spirit. He is not limited to a confined space. He can be all places at all times. So God himself, in the form of Jesus, came into the world, adorned himself in human flesh, and when he did so, Jesus, as God, who was fully God, fully human, he was limited to one place at one time, even though in his deity, in his eternality, he is omnipresent. He is also what we call omniscient. He's all-knowing. In other words, there's, there's nothing God has to learn. There's nothing new that he doesn't know. I see. This is what I always say about science. Science is nothing more than us trying to discover what God already knows. There's no new knowledge for God. There's, God knows everything about you. He knows every thought. He knows every word that's going to come out of your mouth. He knows every motive that is in your heart. There is nothing that God does not know about you because God is not limited by time because God is eternal. He doesn't, you and I live in the framework of time. You know, we're born here, we die here, we live in between. God is not stuck that way. He sees from eternity past to eternity future. He is always present no matter what year it is. He's present in the moment, and he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He uses his power to accomplish his will. And so Jesus would display some of his deity by healing people, right? He showed power over uh, nature when he calmed storms. He showed power over disease when he healed people. He showed power over demons when he, you know, would deliver people from demonic presence. He showed power over circumstances when there was a need, he would provide it. He showed power over death itself. And so he was displaying the power that he has, the power that he he possesses, but it was never for himself. It was always for somebody else. And so that's our mighty God through Christ. In God, he's in control. Sovereign means that God is in absolute rule and control over all of his creation. This is what Isaiah is describing as Christ. He is the mighty God who is the ruler over all creation. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus himself, he is the one who created all things by him, for him, for him. He has created all things. And this is the God that we follow. And this, is, this can be either um, very... Uh, I mean, it's like, man, I, I find security in this, or I can be like, whoa. Um, let, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, let's say, for example, um, you've been want, you know, scrolling in your Facebook, and you've got a friend who's been going to the gym, and they're eating right and exercising, and they've lost all this weight, and they look incredible, and you think to yourself, you know what? I want to be like that. Uh, they're my hero now. I'm going to do the same thing. And so you run out, you buy your exercise outfit, and you buy your walk because you know you're going you're gonna to eat healthier now, and you get you a fitness magazine or shape magazine, and, and uh, then you get a gym membership, and you're like, man, I'm going at it. I'm going to look just like my friend. And then by Valentine's Day, you can't find that outfit. 
that, that exercise outfit anymore. And that walk is now catching the oil that's dripping from your car. And the Shape and Fitness magazine, they're below the stack of your people magazine. And that, that, that uh, gym membership, you go to cancel your gym membership. They look at you like, are you sure you're a member here? We've never seen you here before. I'm not sure you're a member. So what happened to all that? It's like, oh, I, I feel so bad. I, I, I'm... I feel awful about myself, and so I soothe my awful feelings towards myself by hitting a restaurant and getting me a, a, a triple chocolate milkshake and dousing down a triple chocolate cake, you know, uh, whatever. I mean, I, I'm feeling bad. I'm, I, something's going to eat. Amen. <laughs> so I feel, I feel helpless. I feel out of control. Have you ever felt helpless and out of control? For some of you, it might be your temper, and maybe, uh, maybe I do a message on you know, handling your temper, handling your anger, and you think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to get that, Greg has inspired me, I'm going to get the book One Minute Manager, and, and I'm going to put a little rubber band on my wrist to remind me to think positive thoughts, and I'm going to put positive sayings up in my cubicle at work and on my refrigerator at home, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, man, I'm going to get control of my anger, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have a bad day, I mean, this traffic's just like crazy, people are pulling out in front of you, your boss is chewed you out. You get home and the kids have made a wreck of the house. They've taken, you know, they brought mud and, and all over the house. And then you just like explode and boom, the anger just comes flowing out. And once again, you feel helpless. You feel, you feel powerless and you feel horrible about yourself. And there are just so many things that are uncontrollable in our lives. You cannot control circumstances. Have any of you ever figured that out? Right? You can't control the fact whether or not traffic is backed up for a mile or two. You can't control the fact that your airplane was delayed for several hours. You, there are so many things that are outside of our control that just absolutely drive us crazy. Because Here's why. Because as human beings, we are absolute control freaks. Like We want to control everything, right? We want to control people. You can't control. Have you discovered you can't control people? When my grandson's throwing a temper tantrum, there ain't no control in that boy. It's just not happening. It's like, you need a nap. <laughs> Some of you have spent your entire life trying to control people. And it just drives you crazy. People are outside. What about unexplainable pain? Something that happens to you, there's no rhyme, there's no reason. It's just like, what, again, the tornadoes that struck through several states here the last few days, and uh, like in Mayfield, Kentucky, and other, other states, and just the havoc of it all. And people will say, well, what, what caused that? Did God send that? No, God didn't send that. It's just, that is just the, the part of the fallen world we live in, and you just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it's just unexplainable. So here's where push comes to shove is that well, people will say, especially when they see things like that, they go, well, if God is all loving and God is all kind and God really understands and cares and committed to me, why does he not shield me from all of those things? Why doesn't he keep things from happening in my life? Like maybe you, you've, you've lost a child or maybe you, you have a child that's gone wayward or there's so many things that we cannot control. And so when we see those things and experience those things personally, we have to make a decision. Is God all powerful? Is God good? Is God loving? Is God in control or is God out of control? 
Or is there something in the realm of this world that is beyond the realm of God's reach? I've heard people say all the time, well, you know, if God is really loving, God is really kind, and God is really in control, why does he not stamp out all evil? Why does he not wipe out evil upon the planet? To which I look at them and say, then that means he's got to wipe you out. Because the Bible says that the heart of the matter is the matter of the human heart. We're not the solution. We're the problem. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful. So I want us to tackle this for a minute because um, control versus out of control. And when things are outside of my control, is God in control? And if he is, then what is he doing in my life when I feel like I am out of control? Because this is what it means for Jesus to be our mighty God. Because when things happen, we, we want to control everything, and we want to put all the pieces of the puzzle back together as we want them to be and as we desire to be. And I get that. I understand that. But that is beyond our control. So what do I do in the midst of this? This brings us to our passage in first, or 2 Timothy. Let me just set up the passage for a moment. This is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul um, was originally named was Saul, and he was a, a very religious leader in Israel. He was a Pharisee. I mean, this guy had been schooled by Gamaliel, who was one of the highest, you know, minds, uh, uh, religious minds of his day. And so he was just like a scholar in, in religion, steeped in the law and keeping in the law, making sure everybody else kept the law. And he hated, he hated the early church. He hated the early church so much that he went out and began persecuting those who were followers of Jesus, and he was having people imprisoned, and he was having people put to death. Stephen was one of those individuals, the first martyr in the early church. Paul was on this path, this quest. He believed that the, that the way, which was the early church was called originally, that the way was a cult, and God wanted to stamp it out, and then he has this incredible encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the way. I'm, I'm, I'm stamping this out. He says, no, 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 no. If you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me, and he has this, he has this encounter with Jesus the resurrected Christ that forever changed the course of his life. And rather than being a persecutor, he then became a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus. And everywhere he went, he told people about Jesus and how Jesus could save and change their life. And he established churches and, and he you know, poured himself into leaders in those churches. And, and God was greatly blessing his his um, ministry. And so 2 Timothy is a, a letter he's writing to uh, a T young Timothy, who, who Paul had led to Christ, and, and so he's pouring himself into Timothy, and Paul is writing this letter. He is now in prison for the second time, but it's not house arrest. He's now in a dungeon, and there's very little light. It's not a pleasant place to be when you're in a Roman dungeon, and he is awaiting his trial, and Paul pretty much knows, this is the end for me. Uh, my life is about to come to an end. And I want to pass a mantle on to Timothy because he is going to take up that mantle and continue on. And so as he writes this letter, everybody has departed from Paul in Asia, from Asian Minor. Luke is the only one with him. And he writes this letter and he writes it to Timothy. 
Because Paul is not in prison for crimes that he has committed. He is in prison because he preached Jesus. And people didn't like it. So here's what it says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. Um, He says, for this reason I remind you, he's he's speaking to Timothy, to fan fan into the flame the, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. This is incredible, because this is coming from a man who's like, man, he's given up everything for the sake of the gospel. Now he's in prison. He's about to be put to death. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because, now watch this, this is the key, because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Circle the phrase, of his own purpose and grace. This is where the sovereignty of God and the free will of humanity collide with one another. God says, in essence, He said through uh, Paul to Timothy, listen, God had a purpose for my life. When I had that encounter with Christ, my purpose was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. I took it to the Jews first, but ultimately to the Gentiles. This was his calling on his life. And Paul is going to say to Timothy, it cost me a lot to do that. A lot of heartache, a lot of hardship, Things that I did not want to have to suffer, did not want to have to endure, but I did it for the sake of the gospel because that was God's purpose in my life. And I chose to surrender myself to that purpose regardless of what it brought into my life. There were so many things that happened to me outside of my control, but I want to tell you, God used even those things that I could not understand how he could use it for his glory and my good, but I surrendered myself under his lordship, under his authority, and I'm telling you, I did what I could do, and then Christ did what only he could do, and I'm at the end of my life, and I know that when I draw my last breath, I will enter into his presence, and I will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I have fulfilled God's plan and purpose and destiny for my life. Isn't that something you want to say at the end of your life? Do you be able to say, you know what? I've lived my life on this earth. And I, when I come to the end of my life and I draw my last breath, I don't want to draw my last breath and say, you know what? I feel so guilty. I feel so shameful because I did not fulfill the purpose that the design or the dream that God had for me. I, I wasted it away. I refused to surrender myself under the Lordship of Jesus. I only wanted Jesus like as an addendum to my life and there when I need him in an emergency. And therefore I missed what it is that God really wanted to do through me. And so Paul is telling Timothy, man, I, I don't want you to miss that. I want you to fan that flame that is, that is within you. And then he says in verse 11, and this gospel that I was appointed as a herald and an apostle and a teacher, that is why I am suffering as I am. Now, now, you hear what he's saying? I, I decided to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, and that's why I'm suffering. He's not suffering because he committed treason against Rome, he's suffering because he shared the good news of Jesus with those who were without him. And people didn't like it. And so, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he, who, God, is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. 
What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Where did Paul learn this absolute trust in God's power and control over things that were outside of his control? I'm going to tell you something. Paul did not learn to submit himself to God's rule and authority over his life, even in the things that were outside of his control, rather than trying to be controlling. He didn't learn it by picking up a book in a library and reading it. He learned it through day by day, walking with Jesus and encountering the suffering and the pain and the agony that that brought into his life as a result of his faithfulness to the Lord Listen, he's writing to Timothy. When somebody's giving you this kind of truth, the validity of it does not depend on, the validity of it depends upon who is saying it, what they mean by it, and what situation are they referring to when they're, at, they're giving you it. He's in prison. He's saying to Timothy, do not give up. Suffering's coming. Hardship's coming. This life is not always going to be easy. You're going to suffer for the sake of the gospel, but I'm telling you, do not give up. Keep on going. Fan the flame. Do not give in. Do not give over to those who are pushing against you. If you will surrender and submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus, though you can control a few things in your life, those things that are outside of your control, like how people's going to respond to you and how they might attack you is beyond your control. Listen, it's not beyond God's control. God will take all those things, good, bad, and ugly, and he will work them together for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, and he will use it for his glory and your benefit as he conforms you to the image of Jesus Christ. So you reflect Jesus to the world. This is a guy who's like sitting in prison telling you this. In other words, if I were to get up, if I, let's say tomorrow I, you know, I lose my job here. You guys decide to fire me. And um, we're a nonprofit. So that means I, I have no um, recourse as far as unemployment. So let's say I'm out of a job and, and you know, one month turns into two and three and four and I can't hardly pay my bills. And I'm struggling to hang on to my house and things are really tight financially. How would I respond if some 18-year-old come up to me and just put their arm around me? This is an 18-year-old who's never had a job in his life, still lives with mommy and daddy, and you know, just plays video games all day long and says, don't worry, brother Greg, um, God's in control. As opposed to my grandmother coming to me who, with a family of seven, lived through the Great Depression. She and my grandfather lost their business during the Great Depression. Money got really tight. It was hard to provide for their family. What if she came up to me and put her arm around me and says, Greg, I just want you to know, I know things are tough right now, but I want you to understand, I just know from experience that God is in control. Which one do you think I'm going to be comforted by? The 18-year-old with no job or my grandmother who lived through the Great Depression? This is what Timothy is receiving from the Apostle Paul. Timothy, I've walked through all this. I've got a resume. If you want to read his resume, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll give you that resume. Beaten, flogged, shipwrecked, left for dead. 
I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. He says, I'm telling you, these things were outside of my control, but when I, as I remain submitted, surrender to Jesus, those things outside of my control, I'm telling you, God used it for his glory and for my benefit. And ultimately, God brought me to the destination that he had placed me. Now, what if Paul had given this news to Timothy early on in his ministry, not at the end of it? I mean, when Paul started off in ministry, it was like gangbusters. I mean, there's like this, there's nothing that guy could do wrong. Everywhere he preached, people are getting saved. Everywhere he's preaching, churches are starting. He's putting leaders into place. And I mean, people are, are getting healed. And I mean, so much so that at one point in Ephesus, so many people are getting healed. And then Paul starts praying over, you know, snot rags, handkerchiefs, and aprons. And they just lay them on people, and people are getting healed. And I mean, God is just doing this incredible work. What if, uh, Timothy would receive this word from Paul when, when he was at the height of his ministry. And, so, and I mean, at the height of his ministry, like one time he was preaching, you can read about this in the book of Acts, and there's a, you know, he's preaching so long, you thought I've preached long, Paul was preaching so long, it's midnight, and there's a guy named Eutychus sitting in the window, fell asleep, fell out of the window, and dead, boom. I mean, Paul comes outside, and he says, well, I don't want to turn this into the insurance company, and I don't want a lawsuit against me, so he's like, boop, that raises him from the dead. Here he is at the height of his ministry, what if he had talked to P Timothy at that point in time, so well, Timothy, I'm telling you, I know there are things outside of your control. I don't know what's going to happen in your life during your lifetime, but I'm telling you, God's in control as opposed to a guy on the backside of his ministry who's encountered all kinds of hardship, suffering, and vices, and is about to be put to death, says to Timothy. Man, there's a lot of stuff outside of your control because we live in a fallen world among fallen people. It's going to happen to you that you have no control over, but I'm telling you, God's in control. He's in control. Nothing slips by him. Either God has willed it to be done or God has allowed it to be done. Does that mean that we cannot miss God's purpose for our lives? No, it does not. It means that I can balk against God's purpose. You know, God says it's his desire that everyone should come unto faith in Jesus Christ and experience salvation and enter into God, God's presence and his kingdom. But he said, also says, that's, it's not going to happen, right? God says, here's my will, here's my plan and purpose, my destiny for you. But I can look at Jesus and say, but I don't want to believe in Jesus. I don't want to trust Jesus. I don't want you controlling my life. I don't want to bow my heart to him. I, I, I don't want it. And reject him for the rest of their lives. God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus taught us to pray that way. God, Father, you're, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At this point in juncture, his will is not always done, although he desires for it to, to be done. Now, the reason why, again, this is so difficult for us is because we're just like control freaks. And this control freakness began very early in our lives. Now, you know that when you got to about the teenage years and hormones start kicking in and you're thinking to yourself, man, I can't wait till I get out on my own and I don't have to go to church anymore and I can eat candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and 
I don't have to listen to my mom and dad anymore, and I can do my own thing in my own way. It always reminds me of one of my favorite Christmas movies, Home Alone. Remember when Kevin's Home Alone, yeah, and he's, he's out there eating, you know, he's got this big old pile of ice cream and everything else he can put on, and he's watching these bad movies, and he gets up on the bed, and he says, hey, somebody come out and get me. I'm eating crappy food and ru- watching rubbish on TV. It's kind of what happens inside of us as we're growing up, as we're teenagers, and then we take flight, and we do get out on our own, and then all of a sudden we realize how difficult that's going to be. But if you, if you look on your outline at the circle, it says, see the word control, and this is what we, we the, the control that we have, okay? So, um, but it's very limited. God has given us free will. He's given us control over certain things. Like, for example, you don't have to get up and pray about what you eat for breakfast. God doesn't care. You want to eat Cheerios? Eat Cheerios. You want to eat chocolate cake? Eat chocolate cake. Don't recommend it, but, you know, if that's what you want to do. We have control over a lot, several things in our lives, but there's so much that's outside of our control. Now, here's our problem. Is that we don't mind God taking control from time to time. We just don't want him to be in control all the time. Now, let me differentiate that for you. Um, You see, I, I don't mind God taking control of my finances when I get in financial trouble. God, please hurry, come bail me out. But I don't want him to be in control of my finances. In other words, I don't want to submit and surrender to God's word and what he says about finances and how to handle finances and how you save, how you give, and how you become generous. And I don't, I don't want all that. I just, you know, I want to do my own thing. But now if I get in trouble, then I, I'm okay with God coming and taking control of my finances to get me, to bail me out. But I just don't want him to be in control 24-7. Does that, that make sense? It's kind of like, um, I don't mind God taking control of my career, but I just don't want him to be in control of my life because, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to the club Friday night and I've got some needs and there's some things I want to do and I just don't want him messing with that. See, we become schizophrenic. <laughs> like, God, I, I, I want you to get... In other words, we just want to borrow God when we need him when we've got some things so messed up or there's something that's hit our life that is outside of our control and we... Here's what we do. We, we like the apostle, we don't, we're not like the apostle Paul who said, God, I don't care what comes into my life. I'm telling you, I'm walking after you and I'm going to continue to spread the gospel. I don't care what it costs me as opposed to, Hey God, this has entered in my life. Um, let me tell you how you need to handle this and, and the timing and the way. And, and we give God his instructions on how he ought to take control of that and, and, you know, alleviate that out of my life. Big difference. How many of you would be willing to admit that you are a self-controlled control freak? We want to be in control of our lives, and when we need God for him to take control temporarily, then we're willing to do so. So when it comes to situations in our lives that are out of control, here's what the Bible's going to teach you, and I'm going to wrap this up. Um, Do what's within the realm of your control... But anything outside of your control, you have to trust in the sovereignty of God concerning that situation. Doesn't mean I don't do anything. It just simply means I do what's in the realm of my control. Let me give you a couple examples in wrapping this up. 
Um, for example, when Jesus was teaching at one point, and there's like 5,000 men plus women and children, so that's probably about 15 to 18,000 people are out there. And so Jesus is teaching, teaching, teaching. Well, now it's become noon, and um, he's still going at it, and the disciples got concerned that people are going to be getting hungry. You know, like, Jesus, you know, uh, the football game starts at 1. People got to get their wings, blessing, and healing and get out of here in time for the kickoff. So they're, they're all concerned about this, and they're all ramped up. So they start talking about each, with each other, who's going to be the one to go up and interrupt him and make that fact known to him? I don't know if somebody drew the short straw, but eventually one of the disciples got up the guts and came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, um, you notice you're really getting late. The teaching's been going on pretty long. People are hungry. They're getting tired. We need to feed them. You know, you, you need to do something about that. <laughs> you remember what Jesus did? Here's the first thing he said. They don't need to go away. So I'm thinking, the disciples are thinking, oh, so this is going to be a moment where it's like manna from heaven, quail from heaven. He's going to be like Moses, and he's going to like drop this stuff from heaven into, into their laps, and we're going to experience this miracle of God, as Jesus oftentimes did when somebody wanted a miracle. Instead of just doing the miracle, he'd give them some instructions. And if they followed the instructions, he'd give them the miracle. If they didn't, they, they didn't. Right? So... They're thinking that, and, and Jesus then goes, looks at him and goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You feed them. Not me, you. And so what was Jesus asking them to do? I want you to do what's in the realm of your control. Now, this whole scenario of me feeding 18,000 people, that's my problem, not yours. I want you to do what you can do. In the, within the realm of your control. So what did they do? They went out and started singing. Who's got some food with them, right? So they come across this little boy. He's got a sack lunch. He's got two sardines and, you know, five little barley loaves like crackers. And the disciples bring those things to Jesus. Now, when, when Jesus looked at that little lunch, like, did he panic? Remember, this is our mighty God who has the power to do anything. And so he took the lunch, he blessed it, and he handed it to the disciples and had them distribute it. All 18,000 people ate, 12 basketfuls left over. The principle is Jesus can multiply what he can bless, and he can bless what you bring to him. But I don't, if the disciples would have come up with this lunch and started just like, okay, how can we break this in little pieces to feed all these people? Jesus would have never had opportunity to show the miracle or to multiply. The reason he could multiply is because they did what was within their control and trusted him to do what only he could do concerning the things that were outside of their control. And that was the multiplication of this little meal in order to feed 18,000 people. And so the point of this whole message is this. There are a lot of things in our control. Like every day, you, you control whether or not you spend time in God's Word. You control whether you, you listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to Jesus as your wonderful counselor. 
who will give you things to do and show you ways to live and show you how to approach circumstances. But if you do what's in your control and there's something outside of your control that you have no control over, although you might try to manipulate control, listen, Jesus says, eh, I've got that handled. Now, you may not like how I handle it. You may not like what it looks like. But I'm telling you, I will ultimately move everything towards the destiny I have planned for it. That's not your responsibility. You've got to trust me. Now, there is no greater display of this than in the cross of Calvary. Here's in your outline. Um, I'll help you fill in your blanks. Circle of your control. Do what you can. The circle of Jesus. You have to trust in his power and his control. And here's the lesson that Paul learned later on in his life when he was shipwrecked. Now, this was like seven years before his imprisonment that he's writing to Timothy. And Paul says, you know what? God gave me a vision. And the vision was, as this, you know, these, these guys are out on the ocean, shouldn't be out on the ocean, wasn't the wrong time to be out on the ocean. The, the boat is breaking up. God gave Paul a vision. He said, Paul, I'm telling you, hold the course because I, you're not going to die. No one on that boat's going to die. Everyone's going to make it to shore safely. He communicates that to the sailors. They start throwing off cargo, everything they can to try to keep the ship from, you know, wreckage and breaking up. And they hit a sandbar. It breaks up. They all make it to shore. Nobody dies. Why did Paul know that? Because God gave him a word. I'm telling you, this is not how it's going to end. This is outside of your control. You're going to experience a shipwreck. But I'm telling you, I'm going to get you to your destination. And so, this is on your outline. Remember, the only way for God to show you that he is in control is to put you in a situation outside of your control. Now, the question is, are you going to trust him in that? There are a lot of things that's happened in my life that I wish never happened. Outside of my control, I, I, I had no control over my father leaving his family. I couldn't control that. But I can see the way that God has worked through that situation for his glory, for my benefit, and for the benefit of others, if you're really looking. And so we need to remember this. Um, regardless, this is when the power of Christ shows up. Remember Paul asked three times for God to take away his thorn in the flesh. God said, nope, nope, nope. My grace will be sufficient for you. For in, watch this, in your weakness, the power of God will become evident. When you're in your weakness and things outside of your control, the power of God shows up. And nothing showed up any more powerfully than at the crucifixion. I want you to listen very carefully as I close. Uh, what, um, remember what Peter, Jesus is resurrected, ascended to heaven, Peter's standing there preaching before over 3,000, you know, thousands of people. And here's what he said. Listen very carefully to his wording. He says, Jesus of Nazareth was handed over to you by God's set purpose. Who handed Jesus over to these wicked men who were about to take his life? 
God did. Why? For his set purpose, for his plan, and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And so God's purpose was brought about through Christ's atoning death, right? Wicked men nailed him to the cross while they committed this ultimate act of evil. And God used that ultimate act of evil in order to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. Listen, there may be things that transpire in your life and you're thinking to yourself, but there is absolutely nothing good or glorious that will ever come out of this in my life. And I'm telling you, that's simply the lie of the enemy. It's outside of your control, but it's not outside of God's control. And so what God says when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he yelled, it is finished. To tell us die, it is paid in full. And from that moment in time, the countdown clock began. And it's still going. And God will one day come back and he's going to reclaim his creation. And the best way to defeat evil is to create a new world where evil no longer exists. And that's exactly what he's in the process of doing. And if you want to be a part of that kingdom, it only comes through the gift that he gave to the world, his son Jesus Christ, and a personal relationship with him if you're going to enter into the realm of God's kingdom. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I, I know that when we read examples like this out of the life of somebody in Scripture, it's, it's just so easy to read that and think, oh, okay, that's wonderful, that's great. But then, but then when we have to live it out in our personal lives and we have to watch people that we love suffer and we have to go through extremely painful circumstances that are outside the realm of our control, our continual ongoing trust in you, man, just really gets put to the test. And we acknowledge that before you, Father, that we are weak. We are weak, and our, our faith sometimes is very frail. And we don't understand, and we want our questions answered, and we have all kinds of why questions, and we don't feel like we can move on with you until you've answered all those questions to our liking and Lord, we know that's just not how you operate. You've called us to a life of faith, a faith that trusts you in all things, even when we don't understand what's going on and why it's going on and why this is happening and why it happened the way it did. But I know, Father, that by continuing to march with Jesus, that all those hurts and pain and just the agony in our hearts can be healed and made whole through that relationship with our mighty God, our wonderful counselor. And I pray that over every person here today. I pray for the person who needs to begin a relationship with Jesus, that as the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of their heart, they will open it up and invite Christ to come to be Savior and Lord of their life. I pray for those who are hurting and grappling and, and maybe for years over things that have transpired outside of their control that brought deep hurt and pain into their life. And God, they're just, it's still hammering away at them. God, I pray today you will set them free. 
as they offload that, Lord, in your presence today. And just pray and ask and cry out to Jesus that he would heal their heart. That he would deliver them from that bondage. That he would give them freedom in that area that's kept them chained to the past for years. I know, oh God, Jesus has the power to do that. So now may we trust you from the depth of our being and what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing this closing song. And if you're here this morning and you're just wondering, man, what does it mean to trust Jesus? What does it mean to have a relationship with him? I'd love to talk to you about that right after the service. I'll be here at the front. I'll stay here as long as you need. Uh, maybe you need to come and pray. You need to offload something today before you leave. You need to drop that chain. As Brian talked about, you got to, we got to drop the chains that keep us bound to past hurt and pain. Jesus came not only to save you, but also to set you free. And he says the truth is going to set you free. So you have to acknowledge it, embrace it, surrender to it, and let the wonderful counselor bring hope and healing back into your heart and life.